Good morning. I should know how to say that in about three or four different languages by now, but I have to confess that I don't. Just got back from Japan, Indonesia, and Singapore on Tuesday. I'm traveling the week before, as many of you know, and I appreciate your prayers. It's uh, traveling is always interesting, as many of you know. I know Howard's been to Asia many times, and you never know what's going to happen. In Japan, they have a uh, actually very long-standing but very different version of professional baseball. There, if you took a college football game and you combined it with baseball, uh, it would be more of a, a better description of what they do there. They really get into it. The stands are just filled with people standing up and cheering and waving flags. There was a guy with a trumpet. Okay. And so that was pretty exciting. We were wanting to go see a game, and we took a train all the way from Tokyo down to Yokohama. And when we got there, I had you know a couple thousand yen, which isn't much, by the way. And I go up to the front, and I said, I'll take two of your best seats. I'm in Japan. Who knows I'm going to be back? Give me two of your best seats. And uh, they said, it costs, you know... 10,000 yen. I said, okay, great. And I give him my visa. Now, this is the same visa. I just used it at the drugstore to buy whatever I wanted. And they said, nope, sorry, cash only. I went, oh. Now, you see, when you're, when you're a foreigner, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where the banks are at. You don't know where, the, where you can get the money at on a Saturday. I circled that stadium looking for a place to find cash and went back on the train, disappointed with no, no baseball game. It's funny, though, the things that become important to us, you know, and all of a sudden that casual baseball game, you know, it got real important to me, probably because I didn't get to do it, you know. Some things can be kind of casual until it's kind of taken from you. Wait, wait a second, I wanted that, right? It becomes more important than maybe it should. Other things are important. What's important to you this morning? Ask yourself that question. What is important to me? What are the things that are important to me? For some of the young people here this morning, it could be education. Am I taking the right classes? Am I getting good grades? Am I going to graduate? Am I going to pass? Are the classes available? Why is that four-year degree looking like it's going to take eight years to do? The classes aren't available at the right times. Education can be important. Why? The next thing that's important, a job. What job am I going to do? What job am I going to have? Can I do something I like to do? And get paid for it, right? Spend a lot of time at work. It's important. Which leads to the next thing. You work a job. Why? So you can pay for your needs. And maybe some other things as well. Take care of yourself, your family, you know, some of these electronic gadgets and other things that we spend money on. These things can't be important to us. Whether it be education, work, or possessions, I think we could all agree that these things can have some importance to us, but they're not the really important things, are they? I think we'd all agree that the most important things in life aren't things at all. It's people. It's people who are the most important, as it were, things in life. You know, we've been created with a great need inside of us. To have meaning and lasting relationships with other people. It is these relationships that give purpose to life. We can go far, so far as to say it's the ultimate relationship that we need that gives 
total fulfillment in this life. Jesus said this. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In this verse, Jesus is defining for us eternal life. Now, eternal life isn't just a, like a long time, like eternity. It's not just that. Although it is that. It's not just that. And eternal life isn't just something that happens in heaven. Although it continues there. This is eternal life. This is right here now, eternal life. You can have eternal life here now. It's a quality of life. It's a fulfilling, blessed Wonderful life that starts now. It's not going to come through work or the things we possess or the amusements or pastimes, the distractions in life. We're made, each of us, to have a deep, lasting, fulfilling relationship with the living God through His Son, Jesus. And we won't be satisfied in our souls until we do. That's how you were made. But how can you know who this God is? How can you see what is on his heart? What means the most to him? What does he love? What does he hate? Well, this morning we have a unique opportunity to to look into the heart of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. As you're probably already there, most of you know we're going through Luke. You can turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to see straight into the heart of God. Because Jesus wants us to see the heart of his Father. The story is known classically as the, the story of the prodigal son. Today we'll be looking at the whole story, but we'll be emphasizing it from the viewpoint of the, prodig- of the prodigal's father. Go ahead and go back one, Jake. Thanks. Start reading in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Then he, Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the, young, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with, with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough And to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, 
and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For, my, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come because he has. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead, and is alive again, was lost, and is found. I have to confess, I'm very excited about this passage, and it's, it's a very emotional passage, I think, to read in general, um, let alone for, uh, I think, many in this assembly. The context here is in um, verses 1 and 2 of the chapter. Uh, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had a problem with uh, Jesus. It says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, these religious people, they couldn't imagine talking and interacting with prostitutes and cheating, traitorous tax collectors. See, they were too holy for that. Those guys are too big a sinner. See, I'm better than they are. We're better than they are. Jesus, how can you do that? You see? And they had a heart problem, didn't they? And I say they, I don't mean the the tax collectors and the the harlots. I mean the religious leaders. They had a heart problem. They didn't have the heart of God for sinners. That's one of the biggest complaints, and I would say it's one of the biggest... I don't know if rallying cry is the right word or not. Praise the Lord Jesus fellowships with tax collectors and sinners. Amen? Where would, we be, where would we be if he didn't? They had a heart problem that Jesus, Jesus and he, he still loved them. He still loved the, the Pharisees and the scribes. He still cared about them. And he's trying to teach them. As Eric taught on last week, he's trying to teach them to, through material things, through the, through the sheep. That was missing through the coin that was missing, you know, in a material way. Hope maybe these materialistic religious leaders will respond to that. But now we have a different situation. We have a father who's missing his son, and he's appealing to them from the heart of a father. So first of all, in verse eleven, 
It starts off talking about a certain man had two sons. And I, I'd like to take a, just a, a little brief uh, minute here to, to talk about the idea of being a father. You know, there's a, there's a few single brothers in here. And I just want to let you know, if the Lord leads you that way and he provides for you, you you're in for a world of change. Okay? I'm speaking from personal experience here. There's a whole lot of life change ahead of you. But don't worry. If you know the Lord, he's, he's going to help you through it all. But it's a big change from being a single guy who all you, all you think, sorry, all you have to take care of is yourself. You don't only think about yourself, but all you have to take care of is yourself, right? To go from that to being married and caring and taking care of someone else, okay? And then having children, and there's all these little ones all over the place that kind of look like you and her, and you, and you need to take care of them too, okay? It's a big change. It's a big change in, in life. And the Lord provides for you when you're doing it. One of my children asked me the other day, I didn't get the wording right because it was a little more obscure when she said it. And so I just tried to restate it here. She said, how did you get to the point to want to marry someone else? I thought, well, that's pretty observant for like a seven-year-old. And, and, I, and I think I understood what she meant. You know, how, how do you get to the point where you love someone enough to want to be married to them? And so I kind of fumbled around for a little while and... Gave her the best age-appropriate answer I could try to think of at the time. It was all I had. It was a good question. So I thought about it some more. You know, the answer is, there comes a point in your life as you grow and as you mature that you have an ability and a desire to, to love someone else, to be with someone else. And it's an incredible amount. It's a different ability and desire altogether. Because you're willing to do it for life. You're willing to have that person in your life for the rest of your life. And really, it's a God-given ability, I think, and it leads you to marriage. And then the next question, because you've got to anticipate these things as a father, because you never know what's going to happen next. The next question they haven't asked me yet is, if, if you love mommy before I was born, and then I was born, you know, and you love mommy, and now you love me, do you love mommy less? You know, like, here's a bucket of love, and you only had this much bucket, so you, had to, you gave it all to mommy, but if you're going to love someone else, you've got to give them some, so you have to love mommy less, right? You know, pretty, pretty straightforward. You know, you gotta, I'm waiting for this question to happen. Because they can ask real zingers, you know? And you can see from their perspective why they would say this. Giving up the love, as it were. But, you know, what? it's a wonderful thing that God does. He gives you a love... He gave me a love for my wife that I didn't have before. And then we had our first child. And it's not as if I had to split up the bucket. And it's not even actually that there's two buckets. It's actually bigger than that. Okay? That's where the bucket illustration just starts to go away. You're trying to explain to your kids things that are a little harder to explain. God gives you a different capacity to love. You see, I love my wife when she, for some crazy reason, said yes, that she had married me. I loved her for that. And then, then she's the mother of my children. Well, now I love her in a different way. Even more so. And now I have a child. And I love her as well. So it's not about giving up the one bucket that you have. God gives you capacity to love more. And, and more as each child comes along too. 
But they don't get, it doesn't get diminished. It just broadens. And even my children, I love my firstborn. She was the first. It was great. And I love her now as the oldest. And seeing how she interacts with the other children and loves them and takes care of them as the oldest and each one in their position. It's a wonderful thing that God does. He gives a great capacity to love. And, it's, and, and that's why it's so destructive to show favoritism. Favoritism can be so destructive in the home. One child gets loved more than the other. It just can wreak havoc in the home. And it's not necessary. It's not God's nature. He who made billions of people and then says, For God so loved the world. Equally, each person in it the same. No need for favoritism. In, in this passage, we're going we're gonna to be able to see, you know, this father loved, he, he represents the heart of God. He loved them both equally. They were different. He loved them equally, fully, understanding their differences and wanting the best for each of them. Even when he, each one of them, in their own way, becomes pretty unlovely. Okay, let's look at verse 12. Here we see the prodigal son. What's he saying here? <clears throat> He says, and the younger son of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of good that falls to me. <laughs> you want to talk about unloving. Do you realize what he's saying here? Let me paraphrase it for you. Uh, hey, uh, old man, since, uh, you know, you're, you seem kind of healthy and you're not kicking the bucket anytime soon. Um, I'd like to give on living my life my way. So... Uh, I can't wait around here any longer. Could you just go ahead and give me my inheritance now since you're not dying? So, and if you could hurry up about it, I'd appreciate it because I want to get out of here and start my own life. That's pretty much what he's saying. It might sound a little bit humorous, but if you really look at what he's saying, it's horrible. It's horrible. Wow. You raise a child... You provide a loving, nurturing home. You're spending so many waking hours either at work, providing for an income, and then at home, taking care of a home. And that's their attitude at the end? Wow. He could have said, you know, I've spent around 20 years changing diapers, waking up in the middle of the night to clean up vomit, Helping with schoolwork till hours of the night. Teaching you how to change the oil in the car I helped you buy. And this is your response? He could have said that. What would your response have been to this? Your child said this to you. You inconsiderate ingrate. How dare you? You have no idea how much I... I all the way down the line. But Jesus doesn't go there. We might go there, but Jesus doesn't. You see, the father in this story is representing the father, Jesus' father. Remember, the religious leaders are complaining about loving tax collectors and sinners and being with them. They don't know the heart of God. And it's our greatest need to see the heart of God as well, not respond the way we normally would. Just like the father of us all, this father 
when his sons would just as soon have him dead, just quietly gave him what he asked for. Maybe quietly isn't the right word. I could see this father as he's going to the market to sell half the stuff to give the cash to his son, pleading with his son. Son, this ain't going to make you happy. What you're looking for ain't going to work. I'm telling you, it's not, it's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to be fulfilling. The Lord does that for us too, doesn't he? We're bent on something we want to do our way. And he puts little posts, signposts, people in our way. Don't go there. Stop. You don't want to go that way. That is not going to lead to where you think it's going. That's a path to destruction, not a path to life. But oftentimes we don't listen. We're intent on doing things our way. You know, it's amazing to me. He's the eternal God. Okay? He, 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 he fills heaven and earth. Greater than the universe. Holy, the all-powerful God. He won't make us do the right thing. He won't make us. It just totally blows me away. Since the beginning, he won't make us do the right thing. He wants us to do the right thing for the right reason. Now, we can understand this, I think. We get this. I was going on a, running some errands the other day. And as I was going to jump into my truck, many of you know I live on a court and all the kids are out playing in front of the court. It looks like a little aquarium, a little fishbowl with kids and bikes and stuff. And so I get in my truck and I try to slowly pull out of the way and pull out to the street. Before I, right when I'm getting into my truck, one of the kids says, Hey, Dad, where are you going? Can I go with you? I said, Sure. Get back. Let's go. And as we, later on, as we're on our travels, she asks, Hey, um, why didn't you ask me if I could go with you? You don't want me to come with you? I said, no, it's not that I didn't want you to come with me. I saw that you were playing, and I didn't want to interrupt your playing to make you feel like you had to come with me. And to stop and to see you stop playing and want to come with me was neat. It brought joy to my heart. tells me you wanted to come with me, not because I asked, but because you wanted to. You see, we can relate to that. We love it when people do things for us for the right reasons. Voluntarily. It shows love, doesn't it? It's amazing to me that God will not force anyone. But it, it makes sense. He wants love. That's what God's always wanted. He wants a relationship with us. I explained it to her and I think she got it. We need to get it. We need to get that. Even though, like this father in this story, he's done everything for us. You know the breath in your lungs right now is a gift from God? Every heartbeat he's given to you. It's his. He's giving it to you. Everything you possess and every relationship you're blessed with, that's his. He gave it to you. What's our collective response been to a wonderful, loving creator? This is like this prodigal. We might not say it in words, but we've done it with our actions. God, you know, I just assume you not interrupt me with the fun I want to have. 
with all you have and could give me, by the way. Thanks. I just want to live for myself. So please uh, don't get in the way of my fun. Am I living my life my way? You know, if you were dead, that, I guess that would be okay. Just don't get in the way of what I want. That's sad. But that's what we've said with our lives as well. It's like the prodigal son. You know, we talk about hurt feelings. You've had your feelings hurt before. I, I know, I'm kind of a tough nut. I usually get, you have to get through pretty hard to hurt my feelings, but I've had it happen. And you walk away hurt. You know, I don't think we know what hurt feelings are relative to God. We know it relative to each other. God has feelings. God has emotions. We're made in His image. He had them first. You see, He has them purely and deeply. And I wonder how we hurt God with this response. I wonder how it affects Him. Still, He doesn't respond. He doesn't make us do anything. He allows us to go our own way. And eventually there will be consequences, won't there? See, there's laws. You're probably learning this in the, in the stranger class, those of you involved in it. There's laws in life. Just like there's the, there's the law of gravity. Take my ring and I drop it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit the ground every time. That's the law of gravity. Every time. So this is going to happen. There's a law in life. You break laws, spiritual laws, you're going to suffer consequences. Read the Proverbs if you want to know what those laws are and what the consequences are. Okay? Make foolish decisions in life, you will pay. You will pay. God allows us to go our way if we choose to. Also, did you notice in that in that verse? Read that exact verse. Verse 12, he said this. So he divided to them his livelihood. You know, it's between both sons. Both sons got the inheritance. He loved them both equally. It was for all for them. They could have it. You see, with the father, it was never about the money. It was never about the possessions. It was about them, his children. He loved them. He wanted the best for them, the most for his sons. The material things meant nothing. And, and this is the heart of a father. I want the most for my kids. I want them to be successful, to have peace and love and, and joy as much as possible. I don't want them to suffer. Only as much as it takes for them to learn, if need be. From experience, I know how to get the, the, the most out of life in different ways, and I want to teach them that. As a believer, I know that it only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They need to know Him. That's the most important thing that they need. My goal is to teach that to my children, not just with words, Lord willing, with my life. And I'm committed to that. I don't care how many hours it is at work. I don't care how many times we've got to talk about it at home. Uh, although I got to work on patience and repetition. The Lord does it with me. I need to do it with my children. But you know what? When it's all said and done, I'm resigned to the fact that 20 years later, they could look me square in the eye and say, No thanks, Dad. I'm going to go do it my way. Could happen. 
And just like the father in this story didn't do, I shouldn't try to go make my children do what I want them to do. You see, the Bible teaches train up a child in the way that it should go. When they're older, they won't depart from it. So when can you do training? It's when they're younger. After that, it's up to them. They're responsible to God. It's no, it's no longer between me and them. They're responsible to God for their own actions. They're not, they're not soon going to forget good examples. It might seem like they've forgotten. It might seem like it for a while, but they won't forget. This is what we have here with the prodigal son. His, his father's left him to his decisions, to his choices, and the consequences. Does anyone know what prodigal means? Someone, someone besides Matt. I know Matt knows it. Anybody else? What's that? Turn away. Turn away? Nope. Someone else said something that was right. I just couldn't tell who it was. Wasteful. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, it's wasteful living. It's called living for the now, not saving for the future. Living large and loud, but only for right now. He was committed to doing this. But do you notice where he does it? He says, says, in a far country. You ever notice that when you're going to do something that's wrong? First thing you want to do is get away from your loved ones. Why? It's because you're ashamed. It's because you're ashamed. I'm going to move away. That way I can go do what I want. And I don't have to have their influence and I don't have to feel guilty for anything I do that's wrong. So there's the, there's the prodigal son. He's got all the money from his father, half the money that his father had, and he's party central. Must have had good parties that must have lasted for some time, right? Money was flowing. People are drinking and partying, having a good time. Everyone's your friend. Everyone appreciates you. Everyone's glad to see you when you show up. Hey, how's it going, man? We got a party again tonight? All right, my place, I'll see you. Right? It's a very welcoming, warm atmosphere because you make them feel good. And that's the only reason they appreciate you. They don't appreciate you for you. They appreciate you for what they can get out of you. That's the love of the world. I love you. I appreciate you when you do something for me. Once that stops, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm out of here. And that's what happens, doesn't it? The money runs out. The money ran out. And so did all his friends. Besides the money being gone, what hits? Severe famine hits. And he's now living. He's living and he's not prepared. Forget the parting lifestyle. He can't even feed himself. He can't take care of his own basic needs. So he finds someone. He sticks close to this stranger in this foreign country. How does that guy help him? Well, I got a job for you. See those pigs out there? Here's the slot. Why don't you go feed those pigs? This is how well he got paid for doing that job. The pig slop was looking better than what he got paid. That's a sad commentary, isn't it? It's sad. He went from a loving home, people who loved him, his needs being met, to some stranger 
taking the worst possible job for a Jew probably, feeding swine, unclean animals. And that verse at the end, just sad. And no one gave him anything. No, there was no compassion. There was no grace, no mercy. And he's left hungry. What was life like at home? Well, I think it doesn't say exactly. I think we can use some sanctified imagination. Do you think the father knew what he was doing? Oh, yeah. father knew what he was doing. See, you have to, you have to watch out for us parents, kids, young people, because we've been watching all our lives. We kind of know your tendencies. He knew he'd be partying. He knew he, he would want companionship. He knew what he was like. He knew he had wasted all. Now that the famine hit, he knew his son didn't save up for anything. But you know what? Maybe the famine hit his own land. He's taking care of his own family with half the income, half the resources. But you see what he doesn't do? The father never goes chasing down the son. He never chases him down, pleading with him to come back, offering a meal or anything like this. He was in a faraway country. Maybe it would have been difficult. Wouldn't stop a lot of parents. They'll track him down. Hey, come on. Let's talk about this. Wait, wait a second. Do you need a meal? you need some money? you need to borrow my car? That father isn't doing this. Is it because he doesn't love his son? No, it's because he loves his son. That's why he's not doing that. More important than chasing him down and offering assistance that's been unasked for. The father wanted his son to learn one of the most valuable lessons of all. How to say the three... Hardest words in all the universe. I was wrong. Those are pretty tough words to say, aren't they? Can you help me with that? They should practice. I wrong. One more time. I was wrong. You know, if we're the sinners we claim to be, and we certainly are, we should, we should be easier at saying that. Right? I mean, at least daily, not momentarily, and as often with each other as possible. I was wrong. The father wanted to see that happen in his son's life. The father does love his son. But until God breaks him of this foolishness, there's nothing he can do. Let me ask parents out there do you love your children that much that you're willing to let them? Make the decisions and suffer the consequences of their choices and not try to alleviate them of those consequences. What do you think that famine came from? That was a heaven sent famine. That was God working in the life of that young man. You see? Now, I think some of those fathers can be a little tougher nuts. I think the, I think the, the mother's love is not the subject of the, of, the, of the sermon today. It's a father's love. We, it's tough love. Not that the mother can't do that. I just say it's not her strength. She can do it too. She needs to do it. It's tough love. If that's a heaven-sent famine, I think it is. Maybe, maybe, maybe answer to prayer is what we've seen in this assembly. If God is trying to bring someone down because of their foolish choices and the consequences he's promised in his word, and you are trying to alleviate them of those consequences, and we could call it out of love, but it really isn't. 
That's out of a selfishness. You're trying to alleviate them of those consequences. What do you find yourself end up doing? You're fighting against God. God's trying to bring them down, and you're trying to keep them propped up. Let them go. Trust God to work. Let him bring them down. Let him humble them to that point where they're broken. They could say those three hardest words in all the universe to say. This is what the father was doing, waiting for his son to break. Some of you parents with wayward children know, and I can only imagine what it's like. And I'm preparing my heart for that day of the possibility. You you think of that child daily, momentarily. Where are they? What are they doing? What are they thinking? Are they beginning to agree with God and his breaking of them? Don't give up. You're doing the right thing to let God break them. Trust God. Trust the Lord to do what he needs to do. Don't give in to your emotions. Sometimes love is tough. Pray for that famine. Pray it works quickly. I think that's a good prayer. That God would send it to break the hard-heartedness of your child. I love this next, uh, next verse. It says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my fathers had... But when he came to himself... <laughs> you know, sometimes we just got to wake up and smell the coffee. But he, 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 he came to himself. It's like, whoa, what am I doing? Yeah, I got another paraphrase here. This is stupid. What am I doing? My father's servants eat like kings compared to this stuff. I'm starving. God gave me a wonderful life as my father's son, and I threw it away. Now, if he'll just take me back as his servant, I'd be happy. I don't want to. I don't want to suffer like this anymore. See, God needs to have that time to work in someone's life to wake them up, to show them what they're really doing. Bing, lights on, wake up call. This is exactly what this boy needed. He's been completely wrong. He's going to see his bad choices that allowed these consequences to happen. Now that he sees it, he's willing to say, I was wrong. But it it never stops there. True repentance, that's what the Bible word, that's what the, the word the Bible uses. It's a change of mind. When you repent, you turn away in your mind going, that was wrong. I shouldn't be going that way. I should be going this way. But it never just sticks up here in your head. Oh, yeah, I thought about that. Uh-uh. It's like me when I'm at work. I'm walking down the hallway. In the middle of the hallway, I turn around. Oh, yeah, I forgot I had to go to this. This is more important. People looking at me like, whoa, what happened to him? You know, some of them don't look at me because they've done the same thing themselves. Right? You repent. You turn around. You have a change of mind. It leads to a change of action. What's his action? He arose. He says, I will arise. What does he do? He did. He got up and left. I'm going to go to my father. That same road 
that he couldn't wait to get away from his father and do his own thing, and he hated, because that was the way back home. How's that road looking now? That road's looking really good now. When someone really repents, that's what it's like. It's clear. It's simple. It's straightforward. I was doing this. I was going that way. That's wrong. There's no blame shifting. There's no excuses. There's no confusion. There's no ambiguity. It's like, I need to stop. What was I doing? Okay? True repentance is that clear. It's that simple. And we see that in the prodigal son. You ever heard the expression, a sense of entitlement? I have to be honest. I'm a little... I'm a little... um, I'm a little beaten down. I used to talk to homeless people on a fairly regular basis. But everyone I talked to had a real sense of entitlement. Now, maybe it's because of the trials I've been through in life. And I need to be a little more compassionate still. But a sense of entitlement means you owe me this. Did you know you owe me this? I really deserve this. But my parents didn't give it to me or the state didn't give it to me or you were supposed to give it to me. It's owed to me. Do you see any sense of entitlement on the prodigal son's part? <laughs> he says, look, I'll go be a servant if you'll let me. You see, that's what true repentance brings. There's no sense of entitlement. Really, it's, it's, it's humility. Can I just be a servant? Can I just be somewhere near you, away from what I was doing before? What do we find? What does the repentant son find when he comes back to his father? He finds an anxious father. He's anxious to what? He's anxious to show compassion and forgiveness. He's just looking for that one sign of brokenness. You can imagine, he's always, you know, every day be at, work, at home and working the field, he always glances up at that path that comes home and, hey, wait, who's that? Oh, that's the neighbor's kid. He'd be walking and he'd be looking up and going, oh, Ah, oh, that's my other son. Hey, good to see you, boy. You know, you don't try not to put it down that you're not happy to see him, but it's not who you were looking for. He's been looking for his son. And then finally, one day, there he is. It's him. All those worried nights, and now it actually is him. He looks a little thinner than my son. He doesn't walk quite the same. A little swagger's missing, but that's him. That's him. Have you ever seen your dad run? Have you ever seen your dad run? I don't think I ever saw my dad run. I play sports with my kids. They kind of see me run. It's nothing to make a big deal about. I'm like a kind of a slight better of a jog, right? But they've never seen me run like this. That's him. He tears off after him, running. He's been dying to see him. And he can't help himself. He sees the brokenness. Maybe it's in his eyes. Maybe it's in the way he's walking. It's enough. He's been waiting for that brokenness. And he falls on his neck and kisses him. I love the fact that Jesus tells the story this way. Our God, the one who inhabits the praises of Israel, whose name is Holy is anxious to forgive someone who's truly humbled and repentant. 
He sees us break to, to come to ourselves and finally wake up. And he sees us want to come into that relationship that he's always wanted. A relationship with him based on truth. Based on his word. Based on holiness. And like the prodigal son, you know, sometimes we don't come to God with the best of motives. You know what he's coming, coming back for? He's looking for three squares and maybe some dessert. You know? And let's be honest, we came to God thinking, you know, I just this life doesn't work without God. I need... I need the Lord. But you know what you find when you get the Lord? You not only get this life figured out and livable, you get a wonderful life. You get a life worth living. A blessed life. An incredible life. I don't know if we're going to be able to close with this song. I am his and he is mine. Maybe. We'll see. One verse out of it. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs overflow. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. Life's different. It's an incredible, wonderful life. And I love the son's line. I love the son here. He is not going to be dissuaded. He's not going to be... He's not going to be um, uh, turned down. He's, he's, he's rehearsed his line all the way from the far country, all the way back. And he's going to say it, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer going to be called your son. He gets cut off. The father's going to have nothing to hear about that. He doesn't want to hear any of that. He doesn't even let him finish. I have, a, I have an audio of that, but we don't have time to, to listen to it. Keith Green puts it to music in a wonderful way. I'll just read the verses again. The verses are beautiful. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for my, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. He would not have it. That was his son. You know what this, this is what it's like before God. You see? He said he was dead and he was lost. That's what we were like. If you sit here this morning and you've never known how dead you really are, you don't know how alive you really can be in Christ. If you've never really been lost, you've never really been found by Jesus. Once you have, you see what you deserved, sin, death, and hell for all eternity, then you see what Jesus gives you instead. It's wonderful. Go to, go, to, go to 12 there, Jake. You come to God, you don't find a vindictive God who wants to punish you for everything you've done to him, how much you've hurt his feelings. No, you find a graciously heavenly father. He says, I'm going to give you a robe. You're, you're all dirty. And you know what? In and of yourself, I'm, I'm going to turn you into making you clean. 
I'm going to put the robe of righteousness of Christ on you. When I see you, I see my son. You have all the acceptance of my son. The newest believer has the same acceptance as the oldest saint. Same uh, preparation for heaven. Fit for heaven. A, a ring. You know, you're, now, you're now a son of God. And there's no daughters. There's no daughters. Not that it's a masculine and femininity thing. In, in the context, daughters were second-rate citizens. There are no second-class citizens. Everyone's at the top level. Everyone's as close to God as you could possibly be. Sandals for walking. You're my child now. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give my Holy Spirit to be inside you to give you the power to live a life pleasing to me. You're going to have victory over sin you've never known. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You can present yourself to me as alive from the dead. And you can walk with me. And then there's a feast. The parties of the world have nothing on the Lord. The parties of the world are empty, shallow, and temporary. You know what it says here? And they began to make merry. That's what it's like when you come to know the Lord. Now, it's not always easy. I'll say that. But it's always good. You start that relationship with the Lord now. It's a feast of His presence, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the saints of God. And you know it, it never stops. And it goes on for all eternity. And it only gets better. That's what it's like to come to know the Lord, to walk with Him. I wish we could end the story right there. It would be nice. That's not, the, that's not the final issue. final issue is this older brother who represents the religious leaders who are having a problem with accepting sinners. He was not there when the younger son came home, but he had been there ever since. Matter of fact, he was coming from the field. Why? Because he always did what his dad told him to. He was the one who stayed and was obedient. You know, the good kid versus the bad kid. It's not hard to see what his attitude was towards his brother. He felt betrayed. Seeing his younger brother take off with half of the household finances and waste it. He was bitter. He was betrayed, felt betrayed. He had weathered the storms of life there at home without his brother. He had remained faithful to his father's requests. But he didn't have his father's heart. He didn't have his father's heart. See, the older brother never understood his father's heart. He never really got the fact that people are more important than things. He didn't realize the father loved them both equally and would never change. That would never change. It, didn't, it wasn't relied upon on obedience or disobedience. He never got this. He was bitter. You see how he describes him? This son of yours. Oh, that just breaks, breaks a father's heart to hear that. The son of yours. He was fixed on his outward obedience and what he wanted to be rewarded with. You see, and that's, that's the trap here. If you know the Lord this morning, don't ever try to be measured before God by your obedience. If you ever use... <laughs> I 
I took my wife out to dinner the other day, and I, we went to Applebee's, and I come home, and then we always get the Inquisition from at least a couple of them. Where'd you go to eat? I went to Applebee's. One of them said, not fair. Life isn't fair. And you know what? You don't want fairness. You don't want fairness. You know what fairness says? Justice. Fairness says you're a sinner. You deserve to go to hell. Case closed, period, done. Next. There's your fairness. You know what I want? I want grace. I want mercy. Sure, he stayed there, this older son, but he was struggling with sin in his heart. He didn't disobey his father by leaving. He was disobeying his father in his heart when staying. He'd never forgiven his brother from his heart. He had a sin of unforgiveness. Ask yourself this morning, do you have your father's heart? First of all, are you willing to show tough love? Are you willing to do what needs to be done? Maybe as a parent, as a sibling, as a family member, as a friend. Don't work against God. If he's trying to bring someone down, everything that's been done, you need to trust God and get out of the way. Until they're completely repentant in front of God and all, all who are offended. Don't work against God. And then when they are repentant, wow, it's a great time. Running. Running to someone who's truly repented. Reassuring them. Celebrating with them. Fully forgiving them. Not being bitter or jealous. And really, if you have your father's heart, you're going to have a love for the lost. A sincere love for the lost. Your father loves them. You know that person you can't stand the most? That person just irks you every time you're at work? The neighbor who just is incredible? Jesus died for him. If you have your father's heart, you can have a love for him. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you. We want to thank you for this example of who you are. Father, we confess afresh. (laughs) Lord, we're not like you. And we are so glad you are who you are. And Lord, we want to be conformed more and more to your image. We want to be more and more like you. So as we see your heart for sinners, first of all, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you that you love sinners like me. That Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Amen. Praise the Lord. And Lord, help us to turn around and be the same. Lord, if there's anyone who's unrepentant, And they've chosen a path that leads to just dire consequences. Lord, you know who they are. We pray you would work in their lives. Help us to trust you. To not work against you, but to trust you in your working in their lives. And Lord, help us to stay focused on you. To rejoice when you rejoice, Lord. And to weep when you weep. Lord, we thank you for this glimpse at your heart. Lord, conform us to it, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.